players, it is the new year, and we are back today to do a deep dive into the Free Folk faction, specifically talking about their starter box. We're going to be going over all the combat units within, all the attachments, NCUs, tactics cards, special rules cards, and just some general tips and playstyle notes about the faction as a whole. A lot to cover, so we're going to get right into it. So when you're playing the Free Folk, this is at its core a horde army. You're going to be running lots of uh, combat units, you're going to get lots of bonuses for ganging up, for having your guys encircling the enemy for outnumbering them that's the general play style that you're going to have with the free folks so if you're one of those types that wants to run just a swarm of guys and just win via sheer numbers and attrition this is going to be the faction for you that's not to say you can't run some elite variants because you do have some options appearing there but we're going to get more into that when we start talking about the actual combat units uh, one important thing to note about the free folk is that they are going to come with a special rules card no coin beyond the wall and this very plainly says, Free Folk armies may never include neutral attachments or units. So that means that, unfortunately, this faction is gatewayed by not having access to any of the neutral options that the other armies of Westeros and beyond do. The Free Folk do make up for that, though, by having uh, a sheer raw higher number of unit attachments and uh, available options compared to every other army, representing the various different tribes and uh, groups that you know lie north of the wall. And you'll see more of those as the faction, uh, as more of units for the faction come out. But the important takeaway there is that you cannot run any neutral units in the army, so it's going to be you know no Littlefinger, no Varus, no Flaidman, no Boltons, period, or anything else in the future that might come out for the neutral faction. The Free Folk are entirely on their own and have to make do there. As I said before, though, this is going to be a Horde-style army. The uh, average point cost for the units for Free Folk is actually going to range between 4 to 6 points, putting them at the uh, the cheapest units available for any army. Their baseline unit, the Free Folk Raiders, actually clock in at 3 points, but have to be run in pairs. Uh, another one of their cheaper units they have are the Free Folk Trappers, clocking in at 4 points. Uh, so even their elite, oh my god, these guys are like the best fighters and have the quote-unquote, best equipment we have, you're probably going to be looking at around six points or so. As not to say there are not going to be some other more expensive options, because even in the starter box we have giants, but we'll get to that more when we're talking about the actual combat units. So we're going to start uh, by looking at the tactics cards that we have available for the Free Folk, because that's going to be, in general, determine... Uh, really give you a, sorry, a taste of how the army is going to play. So we're going to go by them one by one, and then we'll talk about the individual commander's tactics cards when we talk about the attachments. So the first of the generic tactics cards we have is Regroup and Reform, when a friendly infantry unit activates. Remove up to four models total from other friendly infantry units within long range. Restore that many wounds to this unit. If you control the maneuver zone, restore up to two additional wounds. First thing I want to note is that the maneuver zone is the... Um, kind of a native zone for the free folk and they actually don't have a strong secondary zone they really care about the maneuver zone and that's going to be their primary one so if you're playing against them denying them that zone is going to shut off a lot of their effects for the free folk claiming that zone is going to give you a large boost to most of your tactics cards so it's going to be very important for your army back to talking about regroup and reform specifically though so this is a card that is going to help you to keep your elite units or your expensive ones should you choose to run those really um, healed up because this is going to allow you to take your little chafe cheaper units, pull wounds off of them, and then restore wounds to your more expensive guys. 
It's not the only option though, because you're pulling up to four models away to restore that to a unit. That's a full rank. So if you use this strategically, you can use it to you know grant a rank back to a unit. You'll see that the free folk have a very harsh kind of drop off when they hit the last rank on one of their units compared to a lot of other armies. So really getting them to having two plus ranks is an important thing to you know just for that level of offense that they're going to get back. And not a lot of the free folk they don't have a lot of staying power because again you're running a bunch of cheap inexpensive units. You're really going to want to get those units in there, deal as much damage as you can before they're inevitably destroyed. So this card is going to help you with that. Next card we have is Group Assault. When a friendly combat unit attacks with melee, if there is another friendly unit engaged with that enemy, this attack gains Critical Blow and Sundering. So this is going to start to push you in that direction of if you gang up on the enemy, you're going to get bonuses for doing so. And you're going to see that repeated constantly. Uh, in all of the free folk cards as we're moving through this list. But this is one of the most offensive ones because it's going to give you critical blow and sundering. Something to note about the free folk is that their weapons, well, they all kind of suck. So baseline, they're not going to have a lot of special weapon abilities. And you're going to have to mainly get those via use of tactics cards and attachment powers and other abilities like that. This is going to give you the double hit of critical blow and sundering and really just help you just punch through a unit assuming that you are engaged, um, you have two units engaged, which is fine because a lot of your bonus, uh, your units are already going to gain further bonuses for being engaged. This is just basically stacking good stuff on top of good stuff. One thing that I really want to hammer in early when we're talking about the Free Folk is that this is an offensive-based army. You're going to want to get in there, you're going to want to deal damage. You do not have any staying power. If the fight gets prolonged and you actually get caught up in melee and that, fa uh, that fight just starts going on round after round, you're not going to last any amount of time there and your units are going to start dropping. Um, you can get focused down really easily as well. So that's a takeaway. Really, your main strategy needs to be get your units in there, deal as much damage as they possibly can before they inevitably get killed, assuming they're not doing something important like camping an objective. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Next card. There's too many. When an enemy combat unit activates, if there are two or more enemies engaged that unit, they suffer a panic test with minus two to their roll. Again, this is going to give you a bonus to if you're ganging up an enemy. And this is going to be one of the methods that the free folk have to actually instill panic tests on um, their enemy. They have a lot of tricks as far as how they go about damaging an opponent, whether it's going to be just through raw combat, whether it's going to be toward debuffing them, whether it's going to be causing panic tests. This is going to give them one of their keys to dealing with their threat. The thing about the free folk is, as I said, they're an offensive army. They also have a lot of tools to deal with most any threat that they're going to come across. If they need to punch through armor, they've got ways of doing that. If they need to punch through a you know unit's morale, if that's their weak point, they've got cards like this. So you're probably going to have an offensive answer to most anything that you come across. It's just knowing you know what tool is best to use against a certain enemy, and when the answer is just throw bodies at it until it stops moving. Next card, Distraction Tactics. When an enemy combat unit attacks with melee, that unit suffers minus one to hit for each enemy engaging them beyond the first. So, as I was just saying, you're not uh, having the proper tools for the proper enemy. Sometimes you're going to come across enemies that you really just can't deal with uh, in regards to just killing them down super quickly. Uh, Tully Sworn Shields are going to be a pain for you. Lannister Guards can technically be a huge pain for you. Flayed Men. Anything that's a, meant to be a, just a tanky, defensive, anvil unit, that might be a problem for you. Distraction Tactics 
cards like it and effects like it are going to give you ways to neutralize those units without directly destroying them. And that's going to be another important factor when you're playing in the free folk, is that you've got the units to just go and tie something up, and you don't necessarily need to kill something if you've taken it out commission for one to two rounds with a three-point you know, free folk raider unit. Remember, at the end of the day, this game is still about claiming objectives and holding objectives and earning victory points through that. Killing things via combat is secondary to most any other way you're going to win the game. So if you're neutralizing a 10-point unit of Flademen with a 3-point unit of Free Folk Raiders, that's a win. Now granted, you're not going to do that on its own. You're going to have to have other resources to do that. But you should get the idea. Even if you're taking 2 units of Free Folk Raiders at 6 points to type a 10-point unit, you're still coming, across, uh, sorry, coming out ahead. So that's something to remember with this army. You've got tools to kill stuff. You also have other tools to just neutralize targets. And that's really the end goal here, is just neutralizing threats via just killing them or tying them up. Next card we have is a returning Stark favorite, Swift Advance. When a friendly infantry unit activates, that infantry may make a free maneuver action. If you control the maneuver zone, the unit also gains plus one speed and may reroll any charge distance dice this activation. This is just a generically useful card for positioning, for getting things across the board. Um, and this is going to be one of the kind of linchpin cards to getting those really solid plays off when you need to get those units to get those gang up bonuses to get them in position to do so and really hitting on the flanks, which is super important for the free folk because as I said before, you don't innately have a lot of ways of lowering enemies' stats and hitting them on the flanks is going to give them that minus one to defense and minus one to their panic test. So this is going to immensely help with that. Uh, if you played against Starks or have played Starks, you already know the power of this card. So it's more so applied here than I think even in the Stark army. Well, it's probably going to get a stronger effect in the Stark army, but it's going to be more useful here. Hopefully that makes sense. Next card, Surrounded and Exposed. At the start of any turn, target one enemy combat unit. If there are two or more enemies within short range of that unit, that unit loses all abilities this turn. If you control the maneuver zone, that enemy also gains one condition token of your choice. Again, we are getting back to neutralizing threats here. And this is a card that is, excels at doing that. You don't need to kill a unit if they aren't doing anything to you. And that's really a key thing to remember when playing as the Free Folk. Because as I'm, I'm really going to stress this to you, there are going to be some units that you, even though you have a ton of resources, you really cannot devote to try to kill them down. Like, Flademen are going to be a problem for you. Anything with a 2-plus defense, Lannister guards, even just plain Lannister guards at 5 points, with probably a 1-point guard captain, are going to be a problem for you. Uh, your answer to that is just go and tie them up, or outmaneuver them. You excel at doing both of those. Uh, I think the difference between a good Free Folk player and one who is, I'm just going to go and say bad, is one who is just throwing bodies at problems and hoping that that's going to fix their uh, fix the issue, versus one that is using their superior numbers and battlefield positioning to actually gain benefits and control objectives. That's going to be really the hallmark of someone who is learning to play this army and someone who has gotten to a good point of getting to near master it. So positioning, tying units up, those are what you should be doing. Your opponent should always be in a position where they really feel like, man, am I going to have to waste resources to really kill this unit, or should I just waste an activation to retreat? Those are the type of decisions that free folks, uh, free folk armies should be creating in their opponent. If your opponent's option is just, whatever, it's a roadblock for me to just kill and move forward, you as the free folk player are to blame for that. You are 
you're playing things just a little incorrectly. And again, this is going to be something that comes with time and experience, so don't beat yourself up if it takes you a few games. No one's going to be a master at this immediately. The last generic tactics card they have is the one that I guarantee is going to get the most attention, but is also, well, well let's talk about it after I read it. The Endless Horde. When you claim a tactic zone, replace that zone's effect with Redeploy one previously destroyed friendly free folk infantry unit into a friendly deployment zone. Attachments do not return. Replace them with a normal infantry model. If you control the maneuver zone, they are deployed without an activation token. Otherwise, they gain one activation token. So, uh, what this card does here is this allows you to destroy a previously uh, redeploy a previously destroyed unit. Holy crap, that's the most powerful effect in the game. Oh my god. Yeah, this would be nasty if you guys had units that weren't, you know, more than four to six points on average. If the free folk ever had like a 10 point infantry unit that was just hyper elite or something, that'd be really scary. But you're going to return something that's um, kind of garbage. But that's the thing. It's lovable garbage and everything in your army is a certain kind of garbage. It's just a matter of if it's, if it's stuck with, you know, razor blades or hypo needles, you know, that you get to, you know, stab the opponent with. That's your option. But the thing is, is that this is still going to give you tactical options because it is replacing a tactic zone effect so you can use this to deny the enemy you can use this at the toward the end of the round to claim a zone that no one really wants and replace it with this cool effect and really that's going to be the uh the best time to take this is well going to be the start or the end of the round usually if you know you're going first next round then you can just hold off an ncu activation redeploy something and then you know have it uh hopefully contribute to the game the thing to remember about this is that you are deploying them into your friendly deployment zone. So usually they're going to spend a round or two actually getting back up the battlefield, which is where those effects, uh, those extra movement effects that you're going to see in some attachments and NCUs, where the maneuver zone, uh, where sw the Swift Advanced Tactics cards, where cards like that are really going to help you out as far as getting your things up the battlefield. Because, yeah, it's really nice to be able to destroy, some, uh, sorry, return something that you previously lost. But if those guys get redeployed and then don't contribute anything for the rest of the game, well, what did it matter? So this is one of those cards I think people are going to lose their minds about, uh, theory crafting. But in practicality, it still requires you to, you know, actually be tactically savvy, just like everything else does. So, you know, I, I want to point out that this is one of those cards that, on paper, you're going to go like, oh my god, that's amazing. But play it. And you'll see that it's still really good, but it's seldomly going to win you a game. I mean, there should be no single element of anything that's going to win or uh, uh, cause you to win or lose a game. It's everything working in conjunction. So just remember that when you are uh, reading over this card. Let's go ahead and now take a look at the combat units that are available to the free folk, specifically in the starter box. Victory points in that. Winds of Winter. These guys can absolutely trigger secondary objectives and secret missions and all that. They specifically only don't grant victory points from victory through combat. So if anyone tries to cheat you on that, call them out on that, because that's very clearly defined in the rules. Um, but anyway, in general, these guys are not that great, okay? But you're paying three points a unit for them, so I don't really know what you're expecting here. These guys are meant to trigger your special effects for ganging up. They're a really easy way to do that. And these guys are, again, the quintessential unit to go and bog something down. Because even though these guys do fall to a stiff breeze, your opponent still has to dedicate that resource to um, 
actually dealing with them. Uh, on average, it's still going to take two rounds of combat to actually take these guys down. So that's still two attack actions that a unit is going to have to throw at them to get them fully destroyed. Now granted, there could be those situations where a very aggressive combat unit just wails through them, and then they really roll bad on their morale test. It depends on what army you're playing against, but on average it still take around two attack actions to take these guys down. Meanwhile, these guys should be positioning, tying up units, hopefully hitting the flanks, and really being used as kind of a throwaway three-point unit. I mean, use them to take objectives. You can take four units of these guys for 12 points. I mean... That's less than the cost of, you know, some expensive uh, cavalry units plus attachments. You're getting four units. That's four extra activations. So, you know, use that to your advantage. The next unit we have is the Free Folk Trappers. I really like these guys a lot. They're fairly uh, fun to play. They're a four-point unit, really getting to the expensive territory here. They have uh, a, a baseline uh, defense of 6+, and a morale of 8+. So they're actually even worse on the defense than the Free Folk Raiders. But that's fine. You're not taking these guys for their defensive stats. Frankly, you really shouldn't be taking any Free Folk for their defensive stats. But we have two attacks here. The first one is their Trapper's Blades. It hits on a 5+, uh, 6 dice, 5 dice, 3 dice. Hopefully you will never use that attack unless you absolutely have to. If you're charging with these guys, you're, you better have a really good reason for that. They have a Wildling Bow, which is 4 plus to hit, 6 dice, 5 dice, 3 dice. That's also a short range. Also not the world's greatest attack either. Okay, so why would I ever run these guys? Well, they're insignificant, just like the Raiders, so they're not worth victory points from victory through combat. But they have a really cool order. Order, Hidden Traps. When an unengaged enemy within long range moves. That enemy suffers D3 wounds and triggers a disorderly charge on rolls of 2 or less this turn. So congrats, we have a very cheap unit here that can deal D3 auto wounds to anything that is activating nearby. And congrats, we have just figured out the sole, uh, sorry, the primary source of damage from these guys. I'm going to do another little rules addendum here because I can just see this happening. Uh, people, please remember, you can only activate one voluntary trigger per event. So if you're playing against someone that has this insane idea in their head that they're going to run a bunch of Free Folk Trappers and when you're going to use uh, moves, they're going to trigger like four or five units to cause five D3 auto wounds. That's called cheating, my friends, because that's not how the rules work. You get one voluntary trigger per event. So if an enemy moves, even if there's a hundred Free Folk Trappers in long range, you get to suffer D3 wounds and that's it because only one of them gets to trigger their order. Okay? So... Another important thing to remember, uh, because I just I foresee that happening. Although, that being said, D3 wounds is still really nasty. And depending on the unit, it can be outright deadly. These guys are absolutely the bane of solo units. So your dire wolves, your mountain that rides, your uh, redacted or other factions and units that might possibly be coming out or come out. Basically, anything that's on its own really needs to stay away from these guys. So these guys function as a really good area denial unit more than anything else because they can just hover around objectives and force enemies to go oh uh, do you want to sit there and camp on that objective sure you're not moving which is an option but if you do you're going to suffer some d3 wounds also i'm going to sit here and pelt you with this really crappy wildling bow from short range but what are you going to do about it so the damage output for these guys is actually pretty good for their point cost but of course they will just liquefy if they're targeted by basically anything and, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and stop saying that because that's true of basically anything in this army. 
with the exception of the next thing we're going to talk about, which are these Savage Giants. These guys are a seven-point unit for the army. Arguably one of the most elite things um, available to them. Definitely the most expensive in the starter box and the semi-near future. I'm not going to talk about too many spoilers there. These guys have a bunch of things going for them that make them unique. Let's go ahead and run down through it. Movement of 5, defense of a 4+, morale of a 3+. So uh, average movement, average defense, but a really, really good morale. It turns out it's a little hard to panic or bribe a giant that doesn't understand the concept of money or really fear that much because these little puny insects are trying to attack you. They have the giant rule, which says the model has 5 wounds, and they only suffer 1 wound for every 2 unblocked hits from any attack or effect. Noting specifically that this deals with unblocked hits, so auto wounds really, really hurt these guys. Um, but if you're just hitting them in melee, this means that you'd have to hit them six times. Uh, if they fail six saves, they'll only suffer three wounds. So they're pretty hardy. The thing is, end of the day, they still have an average of around, well, they can still take an average of around 12 hits, uh, direct hits. So while that profile might seem intimidating, they have around the same survivability as a full unit of infantry. Now, granted, you can heal them up pretty well with the uh, Wealth Zone, but note that anything that causes auto wounds really, really hurts these guys. So you're going to want to keep them away from things like Umber Great Axes or Pyromancers or, well, further Expletive Pleated. Funny enough, uh, Free Folk Trappers in a Mirror Match are a bane for these guys as well. But for that fact, you are also going to get their attack, which is Mighty Swing. This is a single die that hits on 2+. And the rules for this state, if this attack generates any hits, instead of rolling defense dice as normal, the defender suffers D3 plus one wounds, <coughs> plus one additional wound for each wound on the model. So basically, these guys here start off by dealing some nasty damage. But as they start suffering damage and getting wounds on them, they actually will start dealing a significant amount of damage. Um, also, just want to say this again real quick, because I know I'm doing like a lot of these little, like rules addendums, but best get this stuff out of the way early before people play this incorrectly. Please keep in mind the wording on Mighty Swing. If this attack generates any hits, any hits, A-N-Y, any hits, not for each hit, for any hits. So the reason I say that is because let's say you have effects that just stack additional attack dice on this. Those aren't going to do you a hell of a lot of good, because if you generate any hits, you're replacing however many you got with the defenders automatically suffering D3 plus one wounds plus all the other effects there. So I don't care if you hit them 100 times, you're replacing 100 hits with D3 plus whatever wounds. Still nice, though, because you're hitting on 2+, plus and it's fairly reliable. I mean, hell, on the charge, it's basically a guarantee. This also means, though, that anything that theoretically <clears throat> blocks any amount of hits is going to straight up shut these guys down as well. So you're going to have a lot of like kind of nasty Lannister tactics and some Stark tactics available as well in specific units that Giants really just don't want to come across. You're going to need to use your other units to uh, get through those and tie them up. <coughs> Alright, so in conjunction here, we have our expensive Giants. You're getting two of those in the starter box. You're getting two Free Folk Raider units, and you're getting one unit of Free Folk Trappers. So you're going to have a good amount of variety as far as what you're going to run here. You've got a bunch of cheap units and a couple of Giants. I mean, hell, who doesn't want to run a 
bunch of cool like you know giants and then some fodder guys to go and tie them up it's actually a really just fun army to play right out of the box not to say the others aren't but just the variety of just different stuff that comes in here is aesthetically pleasing and it's a really cool just alternate playstyle compared to really anything else that has existed in the game because you know starks yeah you've got your raw offensive potential and your kind of berserker tactics lannisters you're gonna have your sneaky uh, tactics zones and um, tactics cards manipulations the night's watch are just going to outlast you with a very small number of elite units these guys are just a completely different experience where you just have this massive horde of units and like oh some cool giants that are just going to go forward and just smash the crap out of things and you know it's just a it's a different type of rewarding experience to play these guys and against them because you do get the uh that feeling of just slicing through a ton of different enemies now granted you're not getting off for doing it but you know that's that's just what you're doing is you're just going to kill a bunch of stuff and really at the end of the day isn't that what the game is all about okay so let's move on to the attach the combat attachments available to these guys including the commanders we're going to talk about the generic attachments available in here and then we'll work our way to the commanders last um, we have two commanders in the box. We have Mance Raider and then Tormund Giantsbane. So Tormund has an attachment version, uh, Tormund Giantsbane, Tall Talker, Hornblower, Breaker Vice, Husband to Bears. Now bring out the mead. Uh, he's going to grant a unit two abilities. One, Furious Charge. Enemies this unit successfully charges become vulnerable. And then Shattering Assault. This unit's charge attacks gain Sundering. This is going to be one of the only sources of Sundering uh, available in an attachment in the entirety of the Free Folk army. So if you can't tell here, Tormund is going to take a unit and give it just some really amazing charge potential and ability to deal damage, well, specifically when charging. Okay, He doesn't do anything for sustain, but frankly, if you want to run a sustain army of Free Folk, uh, i got some news for you. But for raw offensive aggression, this guy's a two-point attachment and is going to grant you just some of the best uh, damage capabilities of really anything in the game because you're going to charge unit make them vulnerable and gain sundering even if you're only throwing down like six dice with a raider unit uh, so you're hitting on a four plus with six dice on average with a charge reroll you're going to score about five hits five hits sundering is going to be nice and then making the enemy vulnerable even if you're playing its lannister guardsman you're going to cause an average of three to four wounds which, for your three-point unit, that's pretty good. And that's assuming you're just doing a full uh, frontal charge with no extra support or tactics cards or anything. And, of course, you really want to capitalize this by hitting them in the flanks, um, hitting them where you're going to get bonuses and really capitalize on your tactics cards. But even just for a baseline, just run at them and hit them, that's still a lot of good damage potential. Now, of course, there's going to be the debate of, you know, do you want to invest a attachment like this in a cheap unit like the free folk raiders that is probably going to die outright that's a choice uh myself personally no i would wait for some of the other uh quote unquote elite free folk units to come out that are going to kind of synergize probably a little bit better with the investment that you're putting here uh, and obviously you would not stick torment and trappers uh ever that's just a terrible idea uh coming out with a free folk though we do have the spearwives they are a unit that gains bonuses for charging, um, but and they do have a s decent number of attack dice, but frankly, they overlap a lot with what Torment actually already does. Uh, sorry, their unit has a lot of innate abilities dedicated to charging, namely gaining Sundering, 
that Tormund is just going to double down on, so it's kind of a wasted investment there. But don't worry, very soon after the starter box comes out, you're going to get some really cool options that Tormund, the attachment version, is going to really make shine. Uh, the next one we have is the generic Raid Leader. The Raid Leader is a one-point attachment with the following order, Combined Assault. When this unit activates, target one friendly unactivated unit within long range. That unit activates immediately after this unit. Any attacks it makes this turn must target enemies this unit targeted. A lot of text for basically saying that you can chain activations together with this guy. That is important though because as we've been talking about through this entire thing, the Free Folk want to gang up, get positioning going, and you know get guys in multiple uh, get multiples of your units in combat and the raid leader is going to assist with that and for a one point investment it's fantastic now there uh technically is a strategy you can run with this guy as well where if you want to chain your entire army's activation together in one long go you can just spam a bunch of raid leaders and cause that to happen but i don't really know ever what benefit you're going to get from doing that because you're giving up every single uh, tactical option when it came to choosing your activation order and you made it so every one of your units can in no way attack the same guy so you're just giving up a bunch of options there so i mean cool i mean something you can do and people are going to go oh my god i can do this but you know to quote certain scientists from jurassic park you know you were so preoccupied with whether you could do something you never asked if you should and that's definitely the case here i definitely think a couple of strategically included raid leaders in key units can really make a big difference as far as those power plays come with the free folk and really getting those surprise like now you're surrounded and now you're screwed type moments going those can really really help but spamming these guys no it's not going to do you a lot of good and um actually with that <laughs> that is the end of the generic attachments in the free folk so let's talk about their two commander versions now the first one, let's go ahead and jump right back up to Tormund Giant's Bane in his Thunderfist version. He is going to give you Shattering Assault, uh, just like his previous version did, so you're in charge attacks against Sundering. But he is also going to grant you Overrun, uh, the order Overrun, when this unit destroys an enemy. Instead of maneuvering, this unit may pivot and make one free charge action. This is one of my favorite orders in the game and really expresses Tormund's um, general play style of you're going to want to get a lot of assaults in, specifically charges, and just kill the enemy via raw aggression. If you're going to want to just go and just kill guys via just charge, charge, kill, 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 this is going to be your commander to do it with. Um, I know I said earlier that you're going to want to do battlefield positioning and tactics usage, and that still remains true. You really can't just run directly toward the enemy and expect to kill them. But if that is still the playstyle that you enjoy, Tormund is definitely going to help you out on that. You're still going to have to use, you know, battlefield positioning, flanks, group attacks, and things like that. But if you're really just like an, a raw, aggressive playstyle, then that's what Tormund is going to bring to you. And that is kind of embodied by his three tactics cards that we have. The first of which being, ironically enough, named Rush of Aggression. When a friendly unit successfully charges, this attack rolls plus two dice. If you're targeting Tormund's unit, the defender also becomes vulnerable. So the free folk, you know, again, this is just, a, this is a very simple uh, aggression, just offensive card, okay? With Tormund's unit, you're going to make them, uh, you're going to have Sundering on the charge, you're going to make them vulnerable, and you're going to roll some extra dice, okay? That directly scales with the offensive potential of the unit. If you have, you know, more offensive potential, they're going to get 
more use of this card than others. But either way, plus two dice is still plus two dice. So it's still just a very nice card to have. The next one we have is actually a little bit of a defensive offensive card for Tormund, and that is Counter Charge. After a friendly combat unit is attacked, one other friendly unit may immediately make one free charge action targeting the attacker. If you're targeting Tormund's unit, that unit may also reroll any charge distance dice. So this pairs up really nice with a raid leader to move a unit, get another unit up there in position, and then when the first unit or really any unit is charged up, then you can counter charge into, the, into them and you'll deal some damage. Making free attacks and getting those surprise extra activations um, on units is always just great for you know any army, specifically the free folk because you want to tie them up. And this one here is going to add that just nice little element of surprise to that just general game plan. A good strategy of this one is that you can march a unit up to a flank, anticipating that um, a unit that is locked in combat is probably going to get attacked at some point, and then use this card to trigger counter charge and just hit them in the flank. That's probably the most easy application if you want some baseline tactics for this, but still one of the most useful. And that's going to play back into the whole, you know, tie unit up in combat and then position other units around them to you know, once your sacrificial unit kind of dies, the other units can converge in on them and just really, you know, devastate them then. The last card you're going to have for Torment is Rallying Assault. When a friendly unit successfully charges, one friendly unit within long range may restore up to D3 plus one wounds. If Torment's unit charged, restore up to four wounds instead. Uh, so healing is by and far kind of rare. And with the Free Folk especially, it can really go a long way. As I mentioned before, your guys are going to suffer heavy losses pretty much any time they're attacked. And healing D3 plus 1 wounds, or in the case of Tormund's unit, straight up 4 wounds, a full rank, can really make the difference between a unit still being there after one attack and being completely wiped out. And as I said before, a large key part of your strategy is going to be just bogging units down. And this is going to give you a further ability to do so. So overall, when we look at Tormund's, you know, everything he has is focused on charging. It's going to give you bonuses for charging and give you extra options to charge via his overrun order, via counter charge. And then you're going to have your healing options and rallying assault. And then your rush of aggression is going to grant you extra offense. So this is the one here where if you want to play kind of just a aggressive, I'm going to go and just kill guys kind of free folk list, definitely spamming a bunch of like the little cheaper units here. That is going to be something that um, Tormund is going to help you with. The thing is, is that Tormund's units in general... Um, Looking at the units that he would take, as I just said, he's going to want to spam just like the cheap infantry units. Giants are also not the worst choice for him as well. Now, uh, Rush of Aggression is going to be completely useless for them, but Counter Charge is going to be nice just because of the damage output they have. And then Rallying Assault is going to be nice as well just because it gives you a little extra touch of healing uh, for those giants to keep them in the fight longer. Uh, I should have mentioned this previously when we talked about Giants, and I kind of forgot, so I'm just going to go ahead and throw it in here. Something to note about the Giants is that they have basically zero synergies um, of their own with any of the Free Folk Tactics cards. They can help trigger a lot of them, but a lot of the cards that, they, uh, that help the Free Folk in general are not really going to help the Giants so much. But that's kind of one of their things. They're these like independent, just big, nasty monster killing machines that can function sort of independently of the rest of the army while still complementing what they do. So that's just a little tidbit for the Giants to keep in mind as well. Um, and now let's move on to talk about the second commander 
in the starter box, Mance Raider, the King Beyond the Wall. So he has two very crucial abilities that actually kind of tie in together. One, Inspiring Presence. Uh, he actually changes the unit's morale stat to a baseline uh, 5 plus. Uh, 5 plus? Yeah, sorry, I'm going off of memory with that one. And then he's got Rally Point. Uh, where friendly units within short range may use the unit's morale stat for all morale tests. So this is going to help you really mitigate uh, one of the weaknesses of the free folk in their morale value. The problem is that it's a very small bubble, and it's going to be a very centralized, focused point in your army that your opponent is going to go, I need to kill that, and the army will crumble. And that's the trade-off. Mance is very powerful when it comes to the regard of you know, giving you that aura buff, but it's a very small buff, and if the enemy kills him, a lot of your strategies is going to fall away with him as well. Very indicative of, you know, his personality and how he leads the free folk in general. But, not to say that will be easy, because you should be surrounding him with just a swarm of nasty stuff, where if the opponent does come after him, then it's going to be problematic. The thing, though, is that the key to taking him down is actually going to be indirect damage on his unit because, again, the savvy player probably is not going to have his specific unit in combat and you're probably not going to be killing them too well via like panic checks outside of combat. So they're going to have to use extra card effects and natural debuffs such as panic tokens to really take down his unit. But if they do get to his unit, it can be a problem because uh, even the most sustained free folk unit will crumble pretty quickly over a dedicated assault. Although, bringing to the table, Mance has some really, really cool tactics cards. So his playstyle in general is all about, I'm going to give my opponent a bunch of bad choices to make. And they're going to have to choose some of those bad choices, and I'm going to capitalize on that. The first one we can see in that is with the card Wildling Diplomacy. When an enemy NCU activates, select two zones of the tactics board. If that NCU claims either zone this activation, Deal one enemy combat unit D3 plus two wounds. If that enemy is within short range of Mance Raider, they also gain one condition token. Alright, so it's the start of the round. Your opponent's going first. Do you know that they're probably going to be taking the combat zone or the maneuver zone? I mean, yeah, it could be different options, but hell, you're going to pick those two. Alright, if they take either of those two, you punish them for it. If it is the end of the round... And let's say you've spammed NCUs, and now there's only two tactic zones left on the board. You can select those two zones. Your opponent now doesn't have an option. They're going to have to take one of those zones, and you're going to punish one of their combat units for this. This card is also another one that really, really just kills solo units. So, you know, you've got a direwolf, it's just straight up dead outright. You've got the mountain that rides, he has 50%, sorry, a, um, uh, actually higher than that because it's D3 plus 2. Um, chance of just being dead outright as well. But even then, you're still causing upwards of five wounds and potentially putting a condition token on a unit for giving your opponent a bad choice. Now granted, they could always just choose a different tactic zone, but that's the other side of the coin, right? You know, you've left those tactic zones that you want open and force your opponent to, to make a suboptimal play in order to avoid taking damage. And so, you know, that's just one of the best examples here of, hey, Mance, do if, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Next card, Predictable Maneuvers. At the start of an enemy turn, if they have two plus unactivated combat units, target one enemy combat unit. If that enemy activates this turn, before they perform their action, one friendly unit may make a, f a free melee attack. If that enemy is within short range of Mance Raider, you also gain one condition token. 
You'll also see, by the way, Mance has a lot of secondary effects by placing condition tokens. So I'm not going to get into that too much. It's just his little secondary thing that he does and grants bonuses for you guys. So there you go. Um, actually, we'll get into his next card and we'll see why exactly that's so important. But so this card basically says, okay, you want to activate this unit? That's fine. I'm going to punish you for it, though. And if that unit is low on health, we might actually wipe them out before they get to do anything. You'll see the common theme of all of Mance's cards here is, again, your opponent is always going to have some options. And it's a matter for you, the player, to create suboptimal options for them. So these cards are going to directly scale with how much of a bastard you are at this game, which is why I love Mance so much. Um, with the proper like knowledge of, of your opponent and kind of like that psychological Hannibal Lecter kind of aspect of it, Mance can be one of the most frustrating commanders to play against but also one of the most rewarding if you yourself are playing them but of course if you also outsmart the uh the free folk player and just do things that they wouldn't expect then that's also really rewarding to do as well so you can kind of flip the tables on them and you know beat them at their own little psychological games and this is going to bring us to the last uh tactics card that we have for Mance: meticulous planning Start of a friendly turn, discard this card and one other tactics card. Search your tactics decks for any one card and add to your hand. Shuffle your tactics deck afterwards. So this is going to give Mance the option to always have access to whatever key clutch card he needs at any moment, assuming you're willing to pay the resources for it. Um, which it's not light, because you're discarding two of your three tactics cards to get that one clutch one that you need. That being said, though, uh, Stark players, I'm sure you're familiar with Sansa and how much of just a game changer it is to have access to that card whenever you specifically need it. Now, the one drawback with Mance here, though, is that it is uh, the trigger is the start of a friendly turn. So if you're getting something that is reactionary to your opponent, you're kind of going to be playing your hand and they're going to see what you're doing. But luckily enough, most of the free folk cards don't actually function like that. They're going to be functioning off of you gaining specific bonuses based on situations. And because they are situationally incredibly powerful, that is, the meticulous planning uh, effect here is going to become that much uh, more valuable because you're going to be able to pull out those clutch cards at exactly the right time. This one is another one of those effects that knowing your army, knowing how it plays, knowing the specific my, uh, minute details of what is included in your tactics deck, is going to really make the difference between if this card is good or absolutely garbage for you. The other issue is that this card is useful in the early and the mid game. As you start getting into the later game and your tactics set starts getting depleted, it's going to just become slightly worse and worse because your deck is getting depleted. You don't have any options to go and dig through because it's only your deck. This doesn't allow you to pull your discard pile. So something else to note there. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And with that, we have talked about all of the combat attachments and the commanders included in the Free Folk Starter Box, which brings us to the last thing to talk about, their NCU's non-combat units, of which there are actually three options appearing in the box. The first one is going to be Lady Val, the Wildling Princess. Val has a very... Um, plain effect here. When Val claims a zone of the tax board, you replace its effect with the effect of the maneuver zone instead. Uh, positioning is, again, key for the free folk. And Val here is just going to help you claim that, uh, get the effect of that zone and help move your guys across the battlefield and help you position, okay? She's also incredibly cheap in CU. You're going to see that a lot with the uh, free folk here as well. 
to um, really you know help you out with that. So not a lot of bells and whistles here. She just helps your army move faster, but that's really important for your army in general. So there you go. I really can't say too much about her because it's pretty plain. Next one we have is Craster, ally of convenience. He's never turned a ranger away from his fire, nor does he love Mance Raider. I love that quote for some reason, and I just want to side note, Mance, or sorry, Craster here is probably one of my favorite sculpts in the entire game, just because I love the giant uh, jolly not Santa sitting in his chair as the uh, as the Night's Watch, uh, sorry, um, the Free Folk sculpt. Uh, noting side note as well that Craster can be included in Night's Watch army, but you know what, we're not here to talk about Night's Watch, I mean, we're here to kill those guys, right? Craster has a really cool effect called uh, ref uh, Refuge and Supplies. When Craster claims a zone on the tactics board, you may replace its effect with Draw One Tactics card and restore up to, uh, to <coughs> two wounds to a one friendly uh, unit. So here, you're basically going to get the um, kind of a split here between the Wealth Zone and the Tactics Zone. Um, and the best of kind of both worlds here, okay? You're not getting the full effect of each, but you're getting a little sampling of each of them. And the thing is, you can use Craster here to deny um, different zones to the opponent. So say you're playing against Lannisters and you really don't want to get crown zapped by someone, like say Cersei or whatnot, you can use Craster to take that zone, replace it, and get some extra tactics cards, heal some guys up. Um, if you're playing against the Starks and you really don't want them to have that maneuver zone, and you don't really need to move your, your guys around because, say, you're running Val and you can just, you know, switch those out as you see fit. Then Craster is another option there. He brings a lot of utility, and he's, again, another cheap NCU. So he's just a really cool little option there as well. This is going to bring us to the last option in the starter box. We have another version of Mance Raider as his NCU, the Artful Tactician. And he is a lot of fun. So he has skillful preparations. It's an influence effect. Uh, when Mance influences a unit, they gain one condition token of your choice, and then they suffer further penalties based on the number of condition tokens that they have, and the effects of these are all cumulative. So if you have one token, which again you're placing down immediately when you influence a unit, is they're going to suffer minus one attack, uh, get, get minus one attack die and minus one speed. Hell, super useful. At two plus tokens, they're going to gain a minus one to hit on top of all that. And if you stack one of each of the three condition tokens on them, they're also going to lose all abilities and effectively just become neutered outright. I really like this guy. The thing is that, like so many other elements of not even just the army, or the, but the game in general, he requires setup. So this is one of those things that, you know, you're going to want to set things up by taking the tactic zone of the tactics board throwing down a couple extra condition tokens maybe not expending them in the early rounds of the game and then using them to just later shut down units this is also going to make the wealth zone incredibly valuable to your opponents for clearing off said condition tokens so you might want to fight them and that's actually the synergies that come up really well with um, craster because you can help deny those zones that are going to help aid your opponent to get rid of these conditions the uh, the thing is that he's going to add this element to your army of knowing when is it best to leave the condition tokens on a unit versus just using them outright as fast as you possibly can. Because a lot of the times the answer is like, oh, this unit's vulnerable and I attack. Well, why wouldn't I use the vulnerable token? Uh, this is going to create that option for you of, well, maybe I want them to be vulnerable for a little bit longer because, you know, the longer they have those tokens, the more debuffs they're going to suffer. And because most of the condition tokens are offensive-based, this is going to give you a nice little dichotomy with the other side of that coin to debuff units. So 
let's go back to like that example I used earlier. The five-point Lannister Guardsmen are going to be a bit of a problem for you because of their defensive capabilities, and namely Lannister Supremacy is something that you just really don't want to deal with. Okay, you stack some condition tokens on them, you can get them to lose all abilities. Now all of a sudden those guards have no offensive capabilities against you, because at that point they're going to be hitting you on a 5-plus with uh, 5 or less dice, and have nothing going for them ability-wise, aside from a 3-plus defense save. Completely just crippled that unit entirely. So, you know, that's a good example there. You have a unit of Flademen that are causing you a lot of problems. Well, let's be honest. The Flademen are causing you problems because of their 2-plus defense, and Mance isn't really going to help you with that. But, let's say you have, you're against a unit of Tully Sworn Shields. Those guys are another unit that would be issues because they actually have offensive capabilities and defensive capabilities. Well, you stick a bunch of tokens on them, they're going to become ungodly slow to begin with, first off. And they're going to be dropping down to a very crappy average 4-plus to hit, minus 1 attack die, and you lose that shield wall ability. Uh, another unit that's going to be absolutely hurt by these guys is any form of knights or guys who really need to get charges off to deal a lot of damage, which consequently are actually going to be the biggest problems for the Free Folk in general, is fast, heavily armored, heavy damage dealing guys that, you know, especially do it on the charge. So Knights of Castle Rock, Tully Cavaliers, those type of things, those are really going to be your big threats that you have to your army. And Mance is going to really help you against those guys because, okay, you take a unit of like Knights of Castle Rock, for example. If you cause them to get minus one to hit, minus one attack die, minus one speed, lose all abilities, okay, they're dealing no damage at all because they've lost all of their lance abilities that are, you know, really cool. Their speed took a hit. They're still cavalry, but now they've been knocked down to, you know, a speed four, so they're still losing almost double their effectiveness because they would get that double move from being cavalry. You know, again, Mance is just really good at targeting a unit and really just shutting it down until your opponent decides that they're going to dedicate resources to have that unit not be shut down anymore. Or when you decide it's time to go on the offense and start using all those tokens. So I really like the options that Mance is going to bring to your army and the specific focused uh, capabilities that he can uh, bring to deal with certain threats. Okay. Definitely not an auto-include, because he does require investment, and a certain playstyle and certain army composition is going to benefit more than others. But he's a really solid option when you know you're going to be playing against a specific type of army or opponent that you need to neutralize key threats. Uh, so, like, the, another quintessential example here is, like, if they're running Bolton Flademan with the mountain that, uh, sorry, the mounted behemoth mountain attachment for a staggeringly expensive 13-point unit... Mance is going to go, congrats, I hope you feel good about your investment now. You know, it's just those situations that come up. So, overall, that's what you have. You've got three solid NCU options right out of the starter box. And with that, that is going to wrap up our look at the Free Folk uh, starter box. And just again, the general faction as a whole. We have some other units that are coming out. Uh, we have the Spearwives that have already been announced coming out with the starter box. We'll be talking about them in their own... Um, little podcast and then very soon afterwards we're going to be having some other really cool units coming up for the free folk and the one thing that really excites me about this army is that because they are a self-contained force without any neutral units each of their units has a very kind of specific thing 
and playstyle they're going to bring to the army, um, more so than a lot of the other factions. So, for example, like redacted unit number one. Okay, this is going to make my army into a big, just, we're going to cause a bunch of vicious and panic tests. Or redacted unit number two. Okay, now we've got some units to force enemy activations and force enemy targeting. Or redacted unit number three, where these guys just do cool thing number redacted and redacted and definitely can't forget about redacted so you know we'll get to talking about those later as more releases come out but it's going to be a very exciting year for song of ice and fire not just for the free folk but for the other factions as well but the free folk are coming here at the start so they get to be our focus hopefully you guys have found this informative and hopefully this will give you a good primer for when these guys release at the end of the month thanks guys for listening join me next time